0: Tonight. I'm going to ask God to help us, and let's stand tonight as I go to the Lord in prayer on our behalf. You know, I love that text of Scripture that says, Today if you hear His voice, Hebrews says it, he's quoting Psalm 95, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. That, that's, a, that's an admonition to us. Let's pray that God would give us an open heart. I had an epiphany when I was teaching, and you know, it's really fun when you're teaching, and the Holy Spirit drops a thought in your heart and mind. And this was the thought when I was teaching. You know, we don't fully worship until we actually act on what we hear. That's a, that's a novel thought. I think a lot of Christians think, well, we've come to church and this is worship, and that's it. No, worship isn't just singing. Worship isn't just giving. Worship isn't just hearing the message. We haven't worshiped till we've left this place and we put into practice what we're hearing. Now we're worshiping God. Isn't that a beautiful thought? And that's what's going to change our lives. Worship changes us. I love that so let 's pray tonight that we will truly worship, so Father, I pray tonight that you 'll open our hearts and minds to hear your voice not not my voice as a pastor but your voice, Holy Spirit will speak into our hearts in the areas of our life that uh, if whatever is pertinent to what 's being said tonight that you 're going to speak directly into our life we 're going to hear a message from you Father, may it bring encouragement, may it bring hope may it bring comfort may it bring correction may it bring understanding Father, and may we we leave this place knowing that you love us so deeply, you care about us so so amazingly, Father, and your love is unfailing. And I pray tonight, Father, that as we leave this place, that our relationships with each other will deepen and grow, and that uh, we will become more mature, and we will gain skills and tools and understanding of how to have healthy relationships with people around us. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. And God's people said. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. I love this little story, and it reminds me of experiences that I've had because I've not always had, you know, uh, what I call reliable vehicles, but how many have ever been in heavy traffic and your vehicle has died on you? And the story's told of a fellow, and he's come up to a light, and the lights turned red, he stopped, and then all of a sudden his car died. The light turns green, and everybody behind him begins to encourage him to get moving, Right? And uh, he's trying to get his car started, and they're really encouraging him to get that car moving. And finally, he was so exasperated, he got out of his vehicle, he walked back to the first drive, he was very polite, and he said, listen, I'm so sorry, but I just can't seem to get my car started. But if you'll go up there and give it a try, I'll stay here and blow your horn for you. <laughs> Some of you are catching on, right? Uh, how many know that we all want to be understood... But we're not always so understanding, isn't that true? That we all want to receive grace, but we're not always so gracious to other people. You know, that's just so funny. We're just a little bit uh, me-centered so often. We're we're not seeing beyond ourselves, and so I think it's important that we understand that God is trying to do a work in our life that moves us beyond ourselves. That's part of the maturing process in our lives. Now, when we think about the ministry of Jesus. I'm gonna just mention a couple of people. First of all, Jesus didn't always have understanding people in his life. How I many know that's true? You know, Jesus is so amazing. First of all, he's sinless, and he's the most compassionate person ever walked on the face of the earth. He went around healing, he went around doing good. Uh, he, you know, he he was moved with compassion, he touched people in their points of need. And you would think a person like that, everybody would love him. Wouldn't you think that? Didn't that, that just seem like the kind of person everybody should love? And a lot of people did love. Love and respect Jesus. But there was a lot of people I didn't like him as well. He actually made people upset. He actually alienated some people because I think he challenged some of the things in their life that were unhealthy and some of the things that were unwise in their lives. And I I was thinking of that story where Jesus went to his own hometown of Nazareth. And you can just imagine, you know, how people are relating to you. Because I mean Jesus grew up around this place, and here now he's telling them a bunch of things that, you know, is challenging their lives. And the Bible says their reaction was pretty nasty. They, they took him, it says, to the brow of a hill, and they were about ready to push him over this cliff. Now, I've been to Israel, and I've been to Nazareth, and I've been to where they were going to push him over the cliff. And let me tell you something, folks. That's not just a short little drop. You know, when you're standing there at the brow of that hill, because Nazareth is built up, you're actually looking over the Jezreel Valley. And actually the drop is probably hundreds and hundreds of feet below. I mean, if you ever went off that cliff, you would die. And so they were going to push Jesus off the cliff, but the Bible says he walked away from them. That's just amazing. But, you know, you'd say, okay, that's his hometown. There's a few people who have some issues with Jesus. But, you know, he, he, he actually happened that many times. There were people upset with him. I read of another story here in John chapter 8. He's in the temple. He's teaching. And he's telling them that before Abraham lived, I am. How many know that kind of got them a little excited? Because number one, Jesus is like 2,000 years younger than Abraham. And then he says that he's God, because that's the name of God, I am. And so They thought he was committing blasphemy, and they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Now, we know that Jesus came to lay down his life for us. It was a willing act of surrender. This was not his moment. People were not going to take his life. Jesus actually said when he was being arrested, I could call these angels from heaven, and they would rescue me right now, but he didn't do that. And so we learned something, that in this life, we are going to have challenges when we become like Jesus. That's a shocking statement. Some of us think, you know, the more I become like Jesus, the more people will like me. The, the answer is, the more you become like Jesus, many people will like you more and others will hate you more. How's that? I'm giving you the realistic picture. You're going to be a magnet. And how many know on a magnet you've got two sides to it? Some of it attracts and some of it repels. And that's the nature of a magnet. That's the nature of what it becomes when you're becoming a follower of Christ. Now, when Paul the apostle later on gets going and he's he's walking with God, he has the same issues as Jesus has. Everywhere he goes, he's preaching and he gets a mixed response. Some people gladly hear the message, they give their lives to Christ, but there's a few other folks, they get so ticked off at him that at one place they even stoned him and left him for dead. Many places he was beaten. As a matter of fact, Paul talks about his ministry in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 to 9. He said, We are hard-pressed on every side. That's the name of my message tonight. Hard pressed on every side. Isn't that true? How many have ever been in that place in your life where you're hard pressed on every side? You know, sometimes there's pressures within. Sometimes you're dealing with your own sets of, uh, you know, in, maybe it's uh, fears and anxieties and uh, doubts about your ability to do things. And so you're dealing with your own inner stuff. And then there's stuff happening around you. There's stuff happening outside of you. Stuff that's beyond your control. Stuff that, you know, you didn't necessarily create, but it's happening to you. Paul says we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. He says we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Isn't that interesting? His description of life, and that's really a description of ministry, and the more you engage in ministry, this verse becomes very real. Believe me. I remember one morning I woke up, and... Uh, I was, I had concerns about our church. I have a lot of concerns you guys know nothing about. And I'm praying and I got up that morning. I said, Lord, I got a number of things that I'm concerned about. And then I stopped myself and I said, wait a minute. Lord, there's a number of things you need to be concerned about. This is your house. These are your children. These are your issues. I'm just making sure you're aware of it. And I know that they're looking to me for answers, but I don't have them, so I'm looking to you for answers, and I'm looking for you to direct us as a church family in these situations. And, you know, that's the truth of it. You and I need to look to God in our current life situation and realize that God's agenda is superior than our own agenda. How many know that's true? You know, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And so this morning, or this morning, this evening, uh, I want us to turn to the book of Philippians. And while you're turning there to chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 27 all the way down to chapter 2, verse 5. I want to just point out to us something very important. While we're dealing with relationships, we have to remember this very important point. And it's found in the book of Ephesians, and Paul says it this way, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And I put in little parentheses here, people aren't the culprits. Okay, so when people are giving us a bad time, and Jesus knew this, the people that were persecuting him, the people that will be persecuting us, and if we live a godly life, people will persecute us, we need to remember something, it's not the people, okay, it's the power behind the people, it's the, you know, the rulers, authorities, the powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, how many recognize that there's a tremendous spiritual battle going on and God uses people and so does Satan? And sometimes Satan even uses Christians. That may be a shocking statement, but it is the truth. Sometimes as Christians, we are, our guards are down, we say something stupid, We say something sinful, we cause a lot of damage, emotional damage, and, you know, we're all guilty of it. I mean, if Peter could tell Jesus, hey, you're not going to have to be crucified, what did Jesus say to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. What what was Jesus saying? That Peter's demon possessed? No, he was saying, listen, Peter, what you just said is coming from the pit of hell. You've now been influenced by the enemy. What you're saying is wrong. That's what he was telling them. And we need to understand something. It's not the person. It's the power behind the person that's creating this incredible tension in our lives. Maybe we experience that at home. Maybe we're experiencing that at work. Maybe we're experiencing that in in our school life. Whatever that place might be, we have these relational tensions that occur from time to time. Anybody here can relate to that? Anybody ever have relational tensions? Yeah, of course. We should all be saying, yes, that's true, Pastor. I've had those. And I'm pointing out there's a principality and power behind it. Norman Sawchuck was a conflict management consultant, and he said this interesting statement. He said, I don't believe there's more conflict today, but I do believe today's conflicts are more difficult, more damaging and complex than they were 20 years ago. When I started in this work, people in serious conflict usually wanted to get it together. In other words, they wanted to resolve it. They wanted to work it out. But he says, today they aren't as willing to reconcile. People tend to be intransigent, unwilling to listen. Intransigent means unwilling to give. There's no flexibility. People want it their way, and they're unwilling to compromise. And when you get to that stage, what you're really basically saying is, I don't value the people in this relationship. I just want to be right. And I see that a lot of times dealing with people. Some people, they're just all about being right all the time. How many know you're not always right? You know, none of us in this room are always right. Why don't we just be realistic and say, relationships are so important to me that I want to sit down and value this other person, listen to where they're coming from, and I may not agree with them, but I want to value them as a person, and I want to value their viewpoint, regardless if I agree with it or not. Can't we do that? Well, of course we can. And by the way, if you can do that well, you're going to have healthy relationships with people. So I think this is important stuff that we're going to hear tonight. You know, when I was in postgraduate studies, one of my teachers, his job was traveling into churches that had difficulties. Can you imagine? This is my full-time job. I go from church to church dealing with problems. And usually if you're doing that at a consultant level, you know there's a lot of problems in those churches. How many know that would be true? And this is what Henry said, and he was, one, he was my instructor, and he taught a whole course on uh, church conflict. And he said, you know why people in the church have a hard time with conflict? Because number one, they don't expect it in the church. And number two, they're unprepared to deal with it. And I think it's important to realize that no matter what context you're in in life, there's going to be conflict. Because where there is people, there's going to be differences. How many say that's true? And there's going to be conflict at times. And the issue is not, will there be conflict? The issue is, how are we going to deal with the conflicts when we experience them? You see, God is allowing them to happen. Actually, I think sometimes God puts that person in your life that you don't like. I think God plants people in your life that irritate you and annoy you. You're going, really, Pastor? You think God's that nasty? No, I think God is so committed to your spiritual development that He's willing to bring people other than what you are like to challenge you to grow and change in some of your ideas and thinking. And God will bring people to push the envelope for you. You know? And you go, wow, that's interesting. You know? Can't you see it? The early disciples, weren't they bickering amongst themselves at times? How many say that's true? I've read the Bible, I've read the Gospels. They actually bickered, and Jesus was actually telling them, Hey, you guys got to grow up, you know? You know, what are you guys arguing about? Oh, you know, they didn't want to admit to them. They were arguing about who's going to be the greatest, you know? They didn't want to tell them that. And isn't it ironic that they were arguing about this while Jesus was preparing to die for them, you know? How many think that's a little weird? You know, you think about it. They were not in step with where Jesus was at. So how do we handle conflict? Well, for many people, we just run away from it. We, we just don't want to deal with it, so we just we skirt the issue. We're peace at all costs. I mean, I have to admit, I'd rather, I prefer not to have conflict. Anybody with me? How many people like it when there's no conflict? Uh, that's where I'm at. But there's a lot of people that go, I like a good fight. Bring it on. Have you met people like that? They're looking for a fight. You know, and so there's that natural fight or flight response that we have in conflicted situations. And yet, there's, you know, I think there are some things you and I can learn to do to deal with conflict really well. I think there's weapons or tools or skills that we need to develop. And let me just mention a few of them. Number one, prayer. You know, the first thing we need to do when we're having difficulty with someone is maybe we need to start, instead of speaking about it or dealing with it or running away from it or going complaining to somebody else about it, maybe we could get on your knees and say, "Hey God, I got a problem here with this individual, and I don't know who's right." That's a new way to pray. I don't know who's totally right here. Uh, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. So I may think I'm right. You know, usually when there's conflict, both sides think they're right. How many have figured that out? You know, I've been married almost 40 years. In December, it'll be 40 years. And I've discovered one thing. As as a gender, usually men have a harder time admitting they're wrong. Got really quiet in here real fast. You know, and so one of the things that I've, I've used in my own life, how many know humor is an important commodity in the middle of conflict? If you can get to have a little humor, you can lighten the m- moment. And so over the years now, uh, we have this little saying, Patty and I, you were right and I was wrong. And, and we just practice this because it's really therapeutic to admit when you're wrong. How many know it's kind of therapeutic to admit, you know, you were right, I was wrong. And then we laugh, because it's become a joke between her and I now, you know. So it's it's made it easier for us to acknowledge when we were wrong about something. But sometimes we have a hard time, we just keep arguing with each other, you know, just keep going, and we just intensify the conflict, rather than sit down and say, wait, wait a minute, maybe I need to pray and take time out and get a divine perspective on what's happening in this situation. How many know right attitude's important? You know, if you really value this other person, you're going to say, you know, it's worth working through the issues. And here's what you're going to learn every relationship, when it gets past a superficial level, will hit a moment of conflict. And I'm going to say this right now the people who learn how to manage conflict are going to grow in their relationships. You're going to deepen in your relationships. And I'm going to just say this. The only way I could still be a pastor of the same church for 30 years is I've had to deal with conflict and work through them. That's how you survive it. You know, Not everyone's agreed with me. I haven't agreed with everyone. We've had to work through things. And those things deepen your relationships. And I think God is more concerned not about who's right. He's more concerned about the relationship. You know, good people can disagree. Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement. But in the end, we recognize somewhere down the road they must have made up because Paul eventually says, you know, you were right about John Mark. I know that for a fact because I've read uh, 2 Timothy, and he says, bring John Mark. He's profitable to me for the ministry. So Paul was willing to admit, you know what? I was wrong about John Mark. How many think that's important? So good people have to be willing to say, hey, there's another way of looking at things. And I think when we really value people, when we have the right attitude... When we're not so insecure, you know, that's part of it, isn't it? A lot of times insecurity is driving a lot of meaningless conflict in our lives. And sometimes we need to go to God and say, God, I'm an insecure person. Help me become a more secure person. Help me to understand who I really am in Christ. Help me not to have to prove anything to anybody. Isn't it amazing when you get to that age or stage in life where you're going, I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody. That is so freeing. Isn't that great? I'm gonna just encourage you, you don't have to prove anything to anybody. You're God's child, you're God's son, you're God's daughter. Get to know him and just relax and accept who you are. And don't worry about what people think about you. Half of them aren't even thinking about you. Maybe even more. So just relax, you know. Everyone's worried about what are people gonna think? Who cares what they think? I'm more concerned about what God thinks. To be really honest, what do you think, Lord? That's more important. Having a right attitude. Or how about forgiveness? Wow, what a powerful tool this is, you know? Hey, this person hurt me. I could walk around and going, you know, I want everybody to admit they're wrong, you know? There's people like that. You know, you hurt them, you offend them. They're always coming to you like, you know, you hurt me. You offended me in this. I'm going, hey, listen. After a while, you just, you know, people are going to offend you. People are going to hurt you. And you just got to accept that. I just walked around deciding, hey, I'm going to just keep forgiving people. I don't want that junk to stay inside my soul. You know what I'm talking about? Where I'm letting other people play with my mind? Amen? How many of you hear what I'm saying? You know, just let it go. Forgive them. Move on. Don't let them camp in your head. Amen? Just grow forward, you know? Hey, if you if you can learn to be a forgiver and then you can decide, you know, I'm not going to hold this thing against people. I remember reading years ago, you know, there was a couple and the guy's talking to his friend. He said, yeah, when my wife gets upset, she gets historical. He said, no, no, you mean hysterical, don't you? He said, no, historical. She just brings out a list and brings up everything I ever did wrong. You know, and you know, it's not just women that do that. Guys do the same thing. We have this whole list of unresolved, unforgivable incidences in our relationships and then we bring them up. My goodness, let those things go. They're destroying your relationships. Amen. You know, (laughs) if I think of all the things people have done, I just go, "Ah, who wants to live on the planet, right? Let's check out right now. Because people are going to offend you. They're going to hurt you. Be forgiving. Being willing to confront others in the spirit of love. Boy, that's a tough one. You know, have you ever had to go confront somebody? Boy, you better be praying. You know, you better be praying, first of all, that you have the right attitude. You better be praying that you can walk in humility. You better be praying that God's preparing that other person to receive the message. Amen. You know, I've had moments where I've had to deal with somebody and I'm going, oh, this is gonna be fun, you know. And I love our elder board. They're so cute, you know. They always go, Pastor, you're so good at this. In other words, you go do it, Pastor. That's what we pay you. You go address that situation. And I got a lot of practice now because I've been doing it over the years. But I'll tell you something part of it is praying. And I've had people say to me, you know, I'm praying for them. And a lot of people are upset with me because I'm not dealing with somebody fast enough, you know. Sometimes you've got to be patient with people, and there's a right moment. And when you're praying for somebody, part of it is you're getting in the right space and they're getting in the right space. And sometimes when the Spirit of God says, okay, now go talk to them. And I've gone to talk to somebody and they said, Pastor, if you'd have came to me the night yesterday, I wouldn't have received one thing you said. But somehow last night, God prepared my heart to receive everything you're saying to me this morning. And I'm ready to receive this. And I'm going, thank God. You know what? They don't know. I've been praying a lot for that. You know? And that was beautiful. And we had a beautiful meeting. And they, 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 they weren't upset with me. And they were recognizing this has got to be a change in their life. And they felt like, you know what? I cared enough to talk to them about it. It was a great meeting. But they can go sideways, too. I've, I've talked to people. And they weren't ready. Or they just didn't want to change. And guess what? That did not go as good. And you know what happens is they usually attack the messenger. You know, they get mad at you. And I'm going, okay, I've got to live with that. So I'm not just saying, oh, if you do this, it's always going to work out perfectly. There's going to be times it's not going to work. And that's why it's so tough to do it. And these are all tools that can help us overcome, you know, unhealthy relational things. But I want to just go here in the book of Philippians and just bring out a couple of quick thoughts tonight about the power of healthy relationships. And it's interesting that it's God that's brought us all into his kingdom. How many know God picked you? How many say, that's true, God picked me? Now think about it. And then he puts you in a local church. And then you're with a bunch of people and they all think the same way. And they're all at different levels of maturity. They all have different levels of experience. They're all seeing life from a different lens. And we're all put together. And now we've got to learn to love each other. How many know that's quite a challenge when you think about it? And so Jesus is the one that brings us together. And then he says this beautiful directive in Ephesians 4 3. He says, Now, endeavor to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, this is your responsibility. You've got to maintain unity. And when we have unity, it's amazing what happens. When we maintain unity that comes from Christ, when people are united around the person of Jesus Christ, there is no force or power able to tear the church apart. Isn't that amazing? We're able to stand in the face of incredible opposition and pressure. You know, the church today, for the most part, backs down. We don't have to. As a matter of fact, we're to stand up against evil. You're going to hear that tonight. But we can only do that if we're united. It's very powerful. So I want to take a look at how the unity of the Spirit empowers us to overcome the pressures in our lives. And especially the pressure from outside. You know, outside, what I'm saying is the non-community of faith. Do you know there's a pressure against the church today? Has anybody figured that out yet? Very strong. And the church that's going to survive is the church that's unified, and we, we actually walk in step. We walk in rank. We're... As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul was in jail when he wrote this letter. He was being persecuted. he's in jail. And he's writing probably one of the most joy-filled letters. It's one of my favorite letters because it's a, I call it the, the letter of joy, Philippians. And it talks about joy. And it's encouraging us to have joy even though life is difficult. Isn't that a meat... You know, know, most of us want... We want life to be easy. Come on, let's be honest. How many say, I want life to be easy? I got my hand up. God goes, no, that's going to just make you a wimp. That's not going to help you develop. And so a lot of times difficulties come into our lives. But how many know that we can have joy in the middle of our difficulties? How many go, if I'm going to have difficulties, at least give me joy, right? That's where I'm at. if we're going to have problems God at least give me joy. that's why I like that book because I think that's what God wants to do is give us joy. So how do we deal with hostility from others and a lot of times this can happen from people who are very close to us. How many have had you know people attack you even from your own family? I've had experiences even from very close family members who have really gone ballistic on me just because I'm a Christian. Anybody have that experience? Yeah you know and we should not think that's unusual that happens there's going to be a hostility against the people of God we need to recognize that paul says in philippians chapter 1 verse 27 whatever happens i love this conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of christ in other words when people come against you and they're doing all kinds of crazy things he says just respond in the right way do you recognize that you represent christ you're his ambassador in this world and when people are, are showing hostility and anger and frustration and whatever else they're showing towards you, sometimes strictly because you're a Christian, I've had that happen. People are upset with me, just because I was a Christian. You know, Do you know, you can actually push people's buttons really fast. You know, I, I remember I was working before as a pastor I was working as a cook in a restaurant, and uh, and I worked. By the way, if you're going to share the gospel, just make sure you are a hard worker. You better make sure you're you're not cheating your employer by sitting around talking to people about Christ. That's not the right approach. And I and my boss, who was not a Christian, you know, he he liked me because he told me one day, when you're working, I make more money. How many of you bosses like that? You know, bosses like it when you work hard, you're diligent, and you're helping them make money. They really appreciate that. And by the way, if you work like that, it'll save your baking. Because I was sharing with this cook beside me the gospel, and you know what happened? There was two waitresses a whole crew of waitresses, and two of them, they were backslidden Christians. And how many know, sometimes the worst people are former Christians? You know, I mean former, they're just not walking with God correctly. And I was sharing the gospel with this cook, and they were getting what I call Holy Ghost conviction. You know what I mean? They were really upset, because they were under deep spiritual conviction. And they were so mad at me, but they didn't come at me. They went to the boss and said, you know, you know, Paul's not doing his job. He's not doing this. And they were just carrying on and complaining about me. And you know what my boss did? He fired both of them. You know why? Because he had worked with me many times and he knew how hard I worked and he knew I wasn't any of the things they were saying. And he just got fed up of listening and we just fired them both. Wow. Well, that you know, and and late my friend uh, that I was witnessing to goes, yeah. He said, "Did you hear what happened?" He said, "These two waitresses—they got so mad at you, they hated your guts, and they went to the boss and tried to get you fired." He fired them. I said, "Really?" He said, "Yep. That's exactly what happened." You know what the end of the story was? Those two waitresses came back a few months later. They had gotten their lives right with Christ, and they asked me to forgive them. Isn't that beautiful? What a beautiful story. We should not be surprised by hostility, folks. It happens. We need to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. As a matter of fact, in our text here, he says that, um, but our citizenship is in heaven. In chapter three, he's writing to these Philippians who were Roman citizens. They were, you know, they had a special status, and they knew what it was like to be a citizen of Rome. And they knew that they had responsibilities and obligations to live up to that standard. So Paul is appealing to them. He says, live up to the standard. You're citizens of heaven. You represent the King of kings and Lord of lords. How many think that's a pretty high calling? So you know what? I need to make sure that wherever I'm at, you know, I don't even think about it anymore. I just want to be a good representative of Christ. I want to conduct myself, you know, when I'm out, you know, away from the church life or I'm on a trip or whatever, you know, I don't stop being who I am. That's the way I am, you know. And uh, you ask my family. I'm sharing the gospel with people all over the place. I'm talking to them about their souls, I'm praying for people. You know, I, I just like that. Because I want to, you know, I you know what, you want to be consistent, right? Be who you're, you know, if you, if you, If you truly internalize this, you don't have to ever try to pretend to be anything but what you are. Isn't that great? You never have to worry about what you tell people because if you tell them the truth all the time, you never have to remember the lie you told. Isn't that great? That's pretty liberating. You can just live a free life. What does it mean to stand in one spirit? Because Paul says here in the second part of that verse, "I, I I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. Notice they must have had more than one spirit. In other words, they were divided contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So what does it mean to stand firm in one spirit? You know what it is? It's a military concept, not to break rank. Again, this is a Roman colony, Philippi. How many have ever seen those Roman movies where the soldiers... The Romans actually fought in in, in a certain unit, and it was a, there was a certain formation called the tortoise, and you can see it in movies. The shields drop in front, shields go overhead... You know, it's really important at that moment you don't break rank. You know, the enemy's going to attack you, and you just got to stand there and not break rank. And that's what ha- needs to happen in the life of the church, that you and I are going, you know what, it's so important that I remain consistent in my walk and not break rank because my brothers and sisters around me are going to be affected. Listen to this text of Scripture from the book of Romans. It says, because of the, the obedience of one, many became Righteous. Now, it's speaking of Christ, right? Because of his obedience, you and I are all been made righteous with God. We're all in right standing with God. But let's apply that to our lives. Because of your obedience, others are going to become righteous. What do you think of that? Because of your obedience, others are going to become righteous. Others people are going to come to know Christ. But when you and I are disobedient... Others are not going to come to faith in Christ. Listen, that is so critical to me. I don't want to be responsible or be the person responsible for people not coming to faith in Christ. And so every time I say yes to God and I'm obedient to what He's asking me to do, other people's lives are blessed. Isn't that neat? You know, some of you go, you know, why do you go to India, Pastor? You must really like it. No, I don't. You know, it's a long flight. Let me tell you, 30 hours. It's grueling. You're halfway around the the world You're on a totally different time zone. You're totally out of sync. And when you get there, you're dealing with smog like you've never seen before. You want to talk about pollution? When we landed in Delhi, I thought we were landing in fog. That was just smog. It's so bad every day in Delhi. It's like smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. Yeah, you know, we're funny over here. We think we got environmental problems. Why don't we help these third world countries with their problems? Man, is it awful. And, you know, I'm teaching in the college there, and I'm trying to drink water, and I could I can feel it. They're burning garbage everywhere, and I could feel the smoke in my lungs. I could feel it. So I'm not doing this because I think, oh, this is such a wonderful experience. But I'll tell you why I'm doing it, because I, God's asked me to do it. And as I'm teaching, afterwards, you know, the students there were so... Appreciative, they were so thankful they were you know, they recognized how far I had come to teach them. You know what they said, Pastor, please come back soon. We learned so much, thank you, thank you there was and the one young man because you know we 're in the middle of a high religious festival there it 's quite demonic, you know you could even feel the powers of darkness you know he 's walking me back to my 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 house you know Mark understands he 's been with us you 're kind of a prisoner there. They walked me back to my house, and then, with tears in his eyes. He just said, thank you for coming. This meant so much to me. You know, you say to yourself, okay, it's worth the 30-hour flight. It's worth all of the stuff. It's worth going and being a blessing. And you know what they told me, these 15 young people? They said, Pastor, what you've taught us, we're going to teach all over India. And I said, yeah, I know you will. I appreciate that. They're, gonna, they're, they're willing to give their lives for Christ. So the least I can do is give them the tools to do it. Amen? Okay, we must anticipate... Uh, Oh, let me go back here to, I'll just move on. I can say a lot when I, I notice my time is slipping away. We must anticipate opposition towards our faith. How many realize that? We just got to anticipate that. As a matter of fact, we shouldn't be surprised or frightened. It, you know that expression there, uh, the word frightened there, Paul, Paul is expressing the, a concept of being stampeded like horses. In other words, don't be skittish. You know, stand strong. Remember, we're, we're on God's side here. And he's on our side. You know, we don't have to be terrified by the attacks of the enemy. You know, there are so many people today in our culture op- opposing the truth. And I, one of the young students that I've taught over the years, and now he's working on his PhD. And Dr. Thomas was telling me, a lot of these guys, some of them even got full-ride scholarships to great seminaries in the United States working on their PhDs. These are sharp young people. And uh, Nichols was telling me, he says, I'm working on my PhD, and I'm writing on the effect of post-modernity in India. And some of you are going, what's that about, Pastor? Postmodernism is actually an attack on absolute truth, is what it is. And that's what we're dealing with today. Our whole culture does not believe in truth. How many know that? It's all relative. Okay, That's the main focus of our culture. But let me point something out that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, and I love this. He said, the world, and our society for the most part, is attacking the truth, yet it is the only thing that can save them. How many know that's true? It's the truth that makes us free. The gospel is the truth, and it's the only thing that can liberate humanity. And even for their sakes, we must stand for it because nothing else will be able to help them. Man, so often we're intimidated, and we are pushed back by our society saying, who do you guys think you are, believing that there's only one way to God? I mean, that's the ultimate expression of, you know, what, intolerance, uh, vanity, I mean, you know, all arrogance, you know, they, you know, just painting a picture. But, folks, let me tell you something. We must stand for the truth because it's the only hope our world has. Yeah. And you know what? The church is being buffaloed today, and so many parts of the church are succumbing and saying, well, everyone's going to get to heaven. We've, we've, we're changing the message. Listen, I want you to think about something. When you and I change the message, we're negating what Christ did on the cross. When you and I change the message, we're negating all of the martyrs who are laying down their lives, even right now, because they're standing for the truth. We're negating their witness and testimony. How dare us do how, how dare we do that? Amen? We should not do that. We should rise up and be courageous and say, you know what? We want to speak the truth in love. Yes, that's true. We want to be gracious about the communication of it, but we will not change the message because this is the there's no other name among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the only way. He said it I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me and by what Christ accomplished on the cross. Well, look at the church's response to suffering. (laughs) It's interesting. The apostles. They were threatened by their own legislative assembly. By the way, we are even experiencing that in our province right now. They left the Sanhedrin, what? Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for his name. If you're being disgraced because you're a Christian, rejoice. Because that's how they treated all the godly people in the past. You should have a little happy dance. You know, you know usually you walk around going, oh, I feel defeated and deflated. No, no. We should be walking around doing the little happy dance going, Lord... I have stood for you, and I've gotten blasted for you. But you know what? I rejoice that I've been counted worthy to suffer for your name. Philippians chapter 129. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Oh, Paul says, I want to know him. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. And in what? The fellowship of his sufferings. How many pray that part of the prayer? <laughs> Most of us pray, Lord, I want to know your power! I want to do the great miracles! And God says, yeah, but how about suffering with me? Well, I, I'm going to check out right about there, God. I, I didn't sign up for this, right? I'm not enlisting to have this experience. But really, that's part of the Christian life. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Paul's concern was not so much that they had that they were persecuted, but how the church was responding to the difficulties. The key to overcoming outside pressure is for the church to stand together. Let me move on to the second point. And this is probably the greater threat. There's going to be pressure from the outside, but here's the greater threat. It usually comes from within. You see, the enemy knows if he can divide us, he's conquering us. A house divided cannot stand. I know Abraham Lincoln said that, but Jesus said it first. And this is the truth. You know, as a matter of fact, Paul starts, uh, well, let me just say this. God's the one that creates unity, but how can we find unity in the Christian life with so many different temperaments, preferences, and level of maturity? Isn't that a great thought? Because we know right now in this room, we're all coming at life from a different lens. We, we've all had different backgrounds. We all have different experiences. We all have different training. We all have different levels of maturity. We all have different expectations. You know, We, we actually bring consumerism into the church. You know our whole culture is predicated on consumerism. You know I was in the service industry. We were always told that the customer was right. That's not true, is it? Of course not. But you know, what? To, to, to make a living, you got to cater to people's whims. Everyone goes, that's true. Come on, now, most of you work in in the real world where you got to cater a bunch of people and a lot of times they're in, you know they're it's it's so hard to even please them. Some people it's impossible to please. You ever had those people that are complainers. You know, And no matter how hard you try, they just whine and carry on and keep on complaining. You're bending over backwards for them and they're still not a preacher. Anybody meet people like that? Oh yeah, they're out there, let me tell you. They exist. But here's what I'm going to say to you. When we come to the church, it's not about what we're going to get out of it. We've got to get away from that. That's the thinking of our world. We should be coming to the service thinking, Lord, what, I, what can I bring to it? I'm coming to you to offer my life. I come to you to offer my life as a living sacrifice. Isn't that beautiful? You know, holy and acceptable before you. You know, i have coming here to serve. What I have discovered in life is you get more out of life by giving than you do by getting. You just get way more out of it. You feel better about who you are too, by the way. You know, the people that are the most miserable people are self-centered. And I'm going to show you in this text, that's the problem when you have disunity in the life of the church. He starts by addressing the problem by making an appeal to those things that we have in common. And what are those things that we have in common? Look at chapter 2, verse 1. If any of you have encouragement from being united with Christ, let me ask you a question. How many here, because you've become a Christian, you've been encouraged? Anybody been encouraged as a Christian? I've got my hand up. Okay, number two. If any comfort from his love, how many have been comforted by God's love? Got my hand up again. Number three, is there any fellowship with the Spirit? How many here you've had an experience with God's Spirit and you've had fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit? There you go, three. We're three for three. Number four, if any tenderness or compassion. Hey, how many have ever experienced God's tenderness and compassion in your life? Oh, my hand goes up. Four for four. Wow, he's appealing to all the beautiful things Christ has done for us. And then he says this. All of these things are true. This is the essence of Christianity. So what he's doing is appealing to us who have experienced God's love through Jesus Christ as a ground for an appeal for unity. This is neither a force nor a contrived unity. We're unified in a common bond with Christ. We need to understand something. This is so great. Number one, Jesus builds the church, not human beings. Number two, I love that because I keep reminding them, Jesus increases the church. You know? I can just do my little part. If, if the church grows, Jesus is doing it. It's not me. Number three, you know, he's given me a responsibility for the health of the church, and he has that for you as well. I love what John Calvin says. The chief indication of a prosperous condition of the church is when there's mutual agreement and brotherly harmony prevailing in it. I love that Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brethren and sisters dwell together in unity. Wow! How many know it's great to be in a place where there's harmony? Isn't that wonderful? And harmony says to me, you're not all hitting the same note. When you're harmonizing, you're hitting different notes. And so what we need to be doing is that we need to be true to who we are in Christ, but we have such an amazing value for other people That we're not singing off key. We're singing in harmony. I love that. Powerful. And that makes things healthy. Now, so what Paul is addressing, what's the underlying issue in Philippi that was actually tearing the church apart? See, it's really interesting. We don't see it sometimes when reading this book. But when he starts talking about being of one mind, when he's talking about having the mind of Christ, when he's talking about two women fighting with each other and calls them out, chapter 4, verse 2, we know there's conflict going on here. So what's causing this tearing in our marriages? What's causing the tearing in our relationships? And all of us in this room, we've all had relationships go sideways. We're supposed to live at peace with all people, if at all possible, right? Some people, they don't want to have a relationship. Well, what can you do? But here's what he's warning us against. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You know what the number one reason why relationships break down? Selfishness. Number one reason. Just write it down. Selfishness. And you know, when I'm looking at a relationship, I've got to say, am I being selfish? If there's a problem, I should ask myself the question first. Not what's going on with them. Am I being selfish here? Isn't that a good question? If I'm having difficulty in a relationship, am I being selfish here? If I'm having a difficult with Patty, my wife of 40 years, am I being selfish here? If I'm having a difficulty with anybody, am I being selfish here? You know, or am I so full of myself, vain, conceit? I think I'm right. You know, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. That just tells me, hey, you may think you're right, but you may be totally wrong. You got to be open to that. So, what's the key to unity? Well, here it comes. The key to unity is the mind of Christ. See, you know, when you have, when there are contractual problems, and and you you, you know, with the postal strike's on right now. Everybody knows it's a rotating strike. And if they can't resolve it, what are they going to do? They're going to bring in a mediator. What's the mediator going to do? He's going to make them find a common denominator, right? And he's going to try to get them to a place to agree, and then he's going to try to build on that agreement. That's how you bring about conciliation. Do you know what the Bible does? It goes not to the lowest common denominator. It goes to the highest common denominator. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What's the mind of Christ? Who thought it not robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation what is he doing? He's laying down his rights. When you and I have the mind of Christ, it's a mind of humility. And when you and I are walking in humility, we can maintain unity. So I put this big sign, how to get to this place? Humility is the key. That's it. You know, when you don't always have to be right, when you can admit when you're wrong, when you can actually defer to others, when you can value the other person and their approach to things, when you you start caring for other people? Listen to how he says it here. He said uh, back here, uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, or not only to your own interests, but each to you, to the interests of others. In other words, how many know when you're around people who take a personal interest in you? You want to be around that person. Isn't that true? People who like you, who care about you, who want to know what's happening in life. How are you doing? How many go, I like hanging with those people? You know what those people are? They're unselfish. Isn't that true? I want you to be like that. I want everyone in this room to become like that. If you're not there, that's where you're going. How many say, I like that? I'm going there. That's what we're going to pray tonight. We're going to get there. We're going to learn to be concerned about other people. And you know, people want to be around people like that. As a matter of fact, what is humility? Humility is a recognition of our spiritual poverty. Humility is what Jesus talked about here in the Beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It just tells me, a humble person is a dependent person on God. A humble person realizes, I'm inadequate. I can't do life without God. Hey, I, 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 I've, I've been a Christian now. The longer I'm a Christian, the more responsibility God has given me, the more I feel inadequate for the job he's given me. And the more I'm trusting God for his resources to do the job. Isn't that beautiful? Say, Lord, I can't live life without you. I can't live a minute without you. I don't want to live a moment without you. I need your grace in my life. I need your wisdom in my life. I need your strength in my life. I need your help every moment. I, I need your help to just so I get beyond myself. I need to be focused out, not just in. I need to have a concern about what's happening in other people's lives. I need to be reminded of this stuff moment by moment so I don't get caught up in my own busy little world. Isn't that true? It's true for all of us. Okay. We're going to close, and I'm going to have you stand tonight. I want to be ending on time here. I want to close with the story. I think this is so interesting. Some people even found this on YouTube today, and they told me about it. You know, when when Andrew, the great hurricane, came through Florida, there was uh, neighborhoods just flattened by the hurricane. Houses just totally destroyed. And how many of the media just loves it when they see something that's unusual, they want to pick up on it? And here was this one house standing amidst all this destruction. The guy's out there cleaning his yard, right? Every neighbor is just, everything is destroyed around him. Here's his house totally standing. And they said to him, how in the world is it that while every other house in the neighborhoods all around you, they're just totally destroyed by the hurricane, your house is standing? You know what he said? I built this house myself. And when I built it, I was told that if I built it to the Florida State Code, a house could stand the hurricane. And he said, I didn't take any shortcuts. It cost extra, but I put in everything they told me to put in to stand a hurricane. I did exactly what they said. They wanted two by six trusses. I put two by six trusses in. And he said, because I just did it to code, my house is standing. What does that tell you about all the other houses around them? They weren't to code. Can I just say that Jesus tells a story in, in a parable, so powerful. He said, you know, the people who hear my words and do it they're building to code. They're laying, you know, they're basically building their house on a foundation that's rocked and the storms will come. Folks, there will be pressures in our life. There'll be pressures inside of you, pressures around you. But if you're built to code, when the hurricanes come to threaten your soul, your house will stand. But if you and I are taking shortcuts, you and I are just hearing God's word, but we're not doers of it our house is going to collapse. Our house is going to collapse. You know, and I was teaching in India, I think I said this earlier, but when I was teaching in India, I had that, that epiphany because I was speaking on worship and what real worship is. Real worship is not just coming to church and singing a bunch of songs and hearing a sermon. Real worship is hearing the voice of God's Spirit in your soul. And He's talking to you and then you go out and execute what God says in obedience. That's why we're warned. Today, if you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. Do what I'm asking. Live to code, and you will stand the test of time. And with every head bowed tonight, how many here say, you know, pastor, I'm struggling with some relationships. Just raise your hand. That's you. Some of you are saying, you know what? I recognize right now I need to learn how to walk in humility because the Bible says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's why I want to be a humble person. I want to live a life of complete dependency on God. And I'm not just saying that. I believe it with all of my heart. I don't think we can live this life apart from Christ. I don't think we can live it successfully. We need Him every moment of every day. We need God's grace in our lives. And God says, I'm going to resist the proud. I'm going to let them do the wrong thing. I'm going to let them fail. But if you'll humble yourself under your, your, my mighty hand, I'll raise you up in due time. I'll exalt you. Maybe you here today. You're struggling with things in your soul. God's Spirit is speaking to you. And that's you right now. Just raise your hand. Just say, you know, would you pray with me, Pastor? I want to live to build healthy, meaningful relationships with others. I got my hand up. I don't want to have bad relationships. I want good ones. I want healthy ones, you know. And I and I and I pray that that's true for everyone in this church. That you will experience the things that I'm talking about tonight. That you will walk in humility. That you will have healthy relationships. That you will value other people. That you will not just dismiss them because maybe they've said something that's irked you. I remember we had a meeting one day and. I'd known this person for over 20 years, maybe longer, maybe 25. And they said something that was so painful and so hurtful. It was unbelie- I couldn't believe they were saying this. And I said to myself, they cannot mean what they're saying. And I, I reinterpreted in my mind, I think this is what they actually meant, but this is what came out. And when I met them, I said, you know, the other day we had this meeting and you said these exact words. And I said them exactly the way he had said them to me. And I said, I know that you didn't mean that. This is what I took from those words. This is what I think you meant to say. And you know what he said to me? He said, Pastor, I'm so sorry that I said exactly those words, but the way you interpreted was the way I meant. And I said, yeah, I thought so. You know what? We can put the right... You know, a lot of times people say things in haste. They just haven't thought them through. And you make a decision. You can either walk around offended. I could have, you know, a 25-year relationship. Do you think... That means something to me. I want that relationship. That person means a lot to me. I want to have that meaningful relationship with that person. And, you know, we've had great relationships since then. You know, I don't hold that against them. I mean, I've said stupid things to people, too. I understand. We all do. So let's pray tonight that God helps us. This is important stuff. I want us to stand in rank as a church. We're going to have to battle evil in the days ahead. I want this church to be a godly, strong church. And it takes godly, strong people to do that. It takes healthy people. Let's pray God help us to be healthy. Amen. So Father, I thank you tonight for these beautiful people who are here. They're here to worship you, Lord. They're here to hear your voice. And they're here to build their life in such a way that when the storms and the pressures which come to all of us... We will be able to stand in those hours. We'll have joy in our heart and that we will have a concern one for another, Father. We're going to grow in a relationship with each other, Father. We're going to have healthy relationships. And we thank you for that. Help us, Lord, to be full of your spirit, to be far more gracious with one another, more patient, more kind, more understanding, more forgiving, Father. Help us, Lord, to decide to love rather than to walk in our own little worlds, oh God. Help us to extend beyond ourselves. Lord, I just thank you that we can reach around our world, Father, through this ministry together. We're doing it together, Father, and we're able to do so much more than we could ever do alone. And I thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave tonight.